There we go. All right, Romans chapter 8. We continue on with verse 29 today. Uh, This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of God. Why do you think God wrote this letter to the Roman church? First century Rome, Paul had never been there, but the, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this. For what purpose? So that we could argue about the theological debates that it has generated over the centuries, so that in the year 2024 we could fight about that and, and divide over it and form different churches and different denominations that hold to certain theological positions, really not at all. He wrote this letter, as I am processing it now, I've been in it for eight and a half chapters and many months, to encourage the church, to encourage individual Christians who are, and I don't have time to do a a detailed review of this letter, but I hope that you follow some of them, some of the messages as we've studied through it. These people are struggling every day with sin, They're struggling with their own fleshly desires, but they know what God kind of wants them to do, and they're having that war within. These are all like me and you. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years in regards to what this letter is all about. These are people who are uh, Christians, so they're people who have the Holy Spirit living within them. And because of that, They cry out, Abba, Father. They know that they have a relationship with God now, and yet in the midst of that relationship, they're also suffering just the regular stuff of life. People back then suffered from disease. They suffered from death. They suffered from the loss of loved ones. All the things that we faced, they were facing, and they were therefore groaning for redemption. The whole creation was groaning 2,000 years ago for, for Jesus to return and for the new heavens and the new earth. And every individual is groaning as well. And, and in the midst of that, we cry out, but we really don't even know how to pray, Paul says. And so the spirit within us is groaning with uh, things that are too deep for words so that we can cry out to God, not even knowing exactly what we want or what we need but we can trust that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and praying and making those prayers make sense according to God's will and that we can just trust that everything's going to be answered that way. So all of that is going on, and these people needed encouragement. And verses 28 and 29 have caused, like I said, a lot of theological arguing and debate, but it is given to us, and by the time we... We're going to look at it as we read it. We're going to look at the forest. Then we're going to go into the trees. And sometimes when you go into the woods, it's wide open and easy to walk through, or maybe there's a path there. Sometimes you go in with a machete because there's so much undergrowth, it's just prickly and hard to get through and a lot of work. Today it's somewhere in the middle there. There's some things I'm going to have to ask you to really pay attention to. Some of you are going to want to turn in your Bibles to the passages that I mentioned. Some of you, you got to be kind of fast because I'll give you a little time and we don't have time to wait a long time. Otherwise, just listen very carefully because I'm going to try to support everything I say with other passages of Scripture in order for us to understand how this should be once we step out of the woods 
and see the forest, how this can greatly encourage the Christian in our everyday life. And so we're going to read verses 28 and 29. So if you'll go there with me, please. Because 29 flows right out of verse 28. Christmas Eve, we studied verse 28. And we know that, literally, we know that all things work together for good. And we know that God's the one doing that, so that's implied. So we know, we trust that all things are working together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for or because whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Let's read those two verses again. We know that all things, every detail of your life, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For, now he's, he's explaining a little more, whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that Jesus, his son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, in order to understand this passage, we are going to have to define several of the words. So, so a lot of this is going to be definitions. If you don't understand what the word means, you can't understand the meaning of the passage. If you don't understand the meaning, you're not going to be able to say, how does that apply to my life? And so there are five terms here that we're going to have to define. So I'm going to do some reading right out of my Greek uh, dictionary. And I don't know of anybody in here that that's going to strongly disagree with much that I'm going to say. Uh, Some Christians will disagree with the positions that I kind of land on, my presuppositions. Okay, But I I, I don't know any of you that that are really going to take offense at it. But by understanding these words and kind of fleshing them out, uh, that's going to be necessary for our understanding. So what we're going to look at, first of all, are God's words, the words that God chose to inspire the Apostle Paul to write down and send this letter to the Roman Christians, words that we can translate into English, Greek words we translate into English so that you and I can understand what these words mean. Because the meaning of the the essence of the passage is captured within the meaning of the words of it. And the words that are used in this verse are works of God, things that God just does, and things that he is doing and has been doing since eternity past. So the first word, look at verse 29. For whom he foreknew. Now what does the word foreknow mean? And you might say, oh that's an easy one. Foreknow is to know something before it happens. That that is, sometimes this word is used to mean that. To mean just that. God knows ahead of time what's going to happen because God knows everything. God knows absolutely everything about everything past, present, and future. God is outside of time. So God sees every, right now, God sees everything fully and understands it all. So it means that, but it means more than that. And I need you to appreciate this so that you can see what this verse means about you. Because this verse is talking about me. 
It is talking about those Christians in Rome. It was talking about, it's talking about me today and it's talking about you today. If you are a Christian, if you have received Christ, if you can read chapter 8 and say, yes, that's me. That the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. It cries out, Abba, Father. That you know you're a Christian. You know you're not perfect. You go back to chapter 7 and say, yeah, I'm really struggling with sin. Why don't I do what I know I should do? I'm living with that struggle. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? If you're having that struggle like I am, you're a Christian. But, chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you, you live with the, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. That as much as I'm a failure and as pathetic as I can be, thank you, Lord, for setting me free. The forgiveness that I have in Christ. So that's you. If that's you, if it's not you, then I pray that it becomes you and you receive Christ. But I know it's me. And so I have to understand, you have to understand what it means to be foreknown by God. So let me read a little to you from the Greek Word Study Dictionary. To know something previously, uh, to grant prior acknowledgement or recognition to someone. Sometimes it's used simply because you know the facts ahead of time. But... Here, it's used of God's, some of these are going to be big words, so just hang with me, okay? We're in the woods now, so we've got to clear some brush and, and look at the trees. We're going to look at five trees, oak tree, birch tree, elm tree, maple tree, and, and a pine tree, okay? We're going to look at five different trees in the woods. We're going to study them, and then we're going to step back. We're going to see how they all go together and what it means to us. So the first one is foreknow, so hang with me. It's used of God's eternal counsel. It includes all that he has considered and purposed to do prior to human history. In the language of Scripture, something foreknown is not simply that which God is aware of prior to a certain point. It is a term reserved for those matters which God favorably, favorably, deliberately, and freely chose and ordained. Sometimes it's used of persons, like in this verse. Notice, look at verse 29. For, does it say for what he foreknew? What does it say? For whom he foreknew. That's me. That's you. That's Jesus. That's all Christians of all time. For whom he foreknew. And so this means a people, a special people that he has foreapproved. He's made a previous choice of. He's chosen us. He's called us. And that's going to be important for you to understand next week's passage. Now, sometimes it's, and, and just to, to prove to you that he's not just talking about uh, understanding things about us, let me read to you from First. Peter chapter nine, uh, chapter one, verses nineteen and twenty. He's now here. This word is used of Jesus, and so it can't mean just that he knows things before they happen. Listen to First Peter one nineteen. With with precious blood we've been bought, with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. The blood of who? Jesus Christ. For he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. 
So Jesus was foreknown. In the same wording as we have here in Romans 8.29, same way as I am foreknown, and you are foreknown. Now what does that mean? Well, it presents Christ as the Lamb of God foreknown before the foundation of the world. He is said to be foreknown because God had planned and determined in his eternal counsel to provide his son as a sacrifice for his people. Certainly more is meant than that God just knew ahead of time that Christ would come and die. God's foreknowledge is given here as the cause for Jesus' sacrifice because God planned it and decreed it. Okay, so remember, for whom he foreknew. So to just undergird and reinforce the personal application of this, I want to look at a couple other passages. Just so you get a feel for how God talks about these things in the Bible. Let me go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Listen to Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in Christ when? When we believed? No, before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. It, he's saying the same things as same thing as Romans eight twenty nine, except with slightly different words. He's saying the same thing. He predestined us to sonship through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, and to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in Christ. So, and then verse 11, also, we have obtained an inheritance, Romans 8, we are co-heirs with Christ. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So, all of this, I'm trying to emphasize, is speaking about a personal relationship that we have with God, a know that he knew you way long time ago. Let me read from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Now hang with me. Don't, don't, don't get lost. Now the word of the Lord, like we're walking through the woods and I'm saying stay tight. It's kind of, there's some bears and wild animals around here and you could fall into a hole. So stay close. Here we go. This is what the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Before I formed you, before I formed you in the womb, right there should, should say to you, Wow, God formed me in my mother's womb. God was doing that, he was mixing all that together. I knew you. The word no, Adam knew Eve. Does that mean Adam just knew a lot of facts about Eve? No. That there's an intimacy here. There's a relationship that's being described by this word. So, so God said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. In Psalms 139, just one or two more here. Psalm 139 this is David, King David, saying, My frame was not hidden from you 
When I was made in secret. What's he talking about? In my mother's womb. When I was skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. So this is before even conception. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book, they were all written. The days that were ordained for me. All the days of your life have been ordained by God for you. And if you're a Christian, your name has been written in the book of life. When as yet there was not one of them. And so God has ordained all of these things. Now, let's talk about the womb for a moment, the mother's womb. You know, a father loves his children. Uh, a grandparent loves their grandchildren. But is, don't you think there's got to be, I was just thinking about this, the, there's got to be something so unique about what a mother feels for their children. Because, like, I kid around, I'm looking around at some of you, and I, I say, kiddingly, but not, I mean, I mean something by it, that I knew you before you were born. I love saying that. When I do a wedding for someone that was born in to some family that, of a parent who's been in church, and there's a whole bunch of them in both churches that I knew before you were even born because I was praying for you. When, as soon as we find out you were expecting, we start praying for you. But how much more for the mom who's, you know, the baby is part of your body. And so for nine months, you, you know this baby, don't you? In a way that nobody else can. And then, after your baby is born, for two or three years before they become aware of your love for them, or even that you exist, and, or they can you know, start putting all that together. So for about three years and nine months, you knew them before they knew you. Right? And we all know that moms aren't perfect, and kids aren't perfect. We're all struggling, Romans chapter 7. And so there can be all kind of relational issues and things don't go perfect, of course. But imagine for a moment God knowing you, not for nine months, God knowing you from eternity past. He knew you. So you didn't come to know him till much, much, much later, but he knew you. And that's, the, that's why Paul's writing this. These Christians in the first century who were struggling and suffering needed to know that God loves them that much because he knows them. And he doesn't just know about them, he knows them. And he's known them from eternity past and he will know them into eternity future. God will always know you in that, that most intimate way. So hold on to that as we now move into the next word that is very, very similar. And that is the word predestined. For whom he foreknew, same object of the verb, whom he predestined. So it's you. So I, I just want to be bold about this this morning in saying it's you. Because this letter is written to individual Christians. And if it's not you, that's between you and God, and you know it. And so I'll be praying that you, that something, the Holy Spirit does something, and you say, oh, wow, that's what it is. That's what it is all about. And that God opens your heart to receive Christ. And then you, this is true of you as well. But this letter is written to you, so I'm going to just say that. Okay? 
And so he says, whom he predestined. So the word predestined means to determine something before it happens. That There's no other way to translate that word. And I'm kind of emphasizing this because it is the flesh and our human nature that believes things like we determine our own destiny. You don't. Uh, that God didn't plan everything beforehand. He did. He just did. He's God. And so let me explain a little bit. In, in Acts chapter 4, verse 28, there's an interesting couple of verses. For truly, this is Peter. <clears throat> Peter, after he is released from jail, he's been suffering, he's per- being persecuted for being a Christian. And this is what he says. He's praying to God. And he said, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, who put Jesus to death. Listen to this. To do whatever they wanted. Right? That's not what it says. It says they all gathered together, all the Gentiles, the Jews, Herod, Pontius Pilate, they gathered together in all of their hatred, in all of their sin, uh, to murder Jesus. He said to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So what's that saying is Jesus, God, when it says that God foreknew Jesus, he's not saying that he knew all about Jesus before things happened. Jesus is God, the Son. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. So he's saying that he knew Jesus uh, in in a personal way, for whom he foreknew, he predestined. So the objects of God's predestination, which is us, are those whom he foreknew. And one other thing about predestination. God doesn't just determine the, the big plan. He includes the individuals in the plan. He includes the uh, primary and secondary causes. He, pre, he includes Herod. He includes Pilate. He includes the Jewish, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and all those people. All of the instruments, all of the agents, all of the contingencies, these are the ingredients that are in the mixing bowl of your life. God has determined all of them, and God is working all of them together for what? For your good. Okay? So why is that important? I bumped into a guy at the fitness center the other day, a person that I've been trying to befriend, and I want to, you know, always looking for an opportunity to to talk about spiritual things. And we got talking about New Year's resolutions, and I was just going to preach on that. And I said, uh, or I said, you ought to get on Facebook Live and listen to my sermon on New Year's resolutions. I said, do you make resolutions? Ah, bah, humbug. Okay. He said, do you? I said, yeah, I make lots of them. I love making New Year's resolutions. He says, yeah, but what happens when you break them? Or what if if you break them? Or what if you fail? I said, I break them all the time. I fail all the time in my resolutions. But I make them 
because I know that God wants me to become more like Jesus so it opened the door for me to explain to him why I want to become a better person, why I want to be more like Jesus. And so, but the problem with New Year's resolutions is, is we break them. So we got to keep reintegrating. We got to keep setting new ones. We got to get back to what we said we were going to be dedicated to, right? But when it comes to God, so that's what this foreknowledge and this predestination ought to, to do in us, is to help us to realize that if God foreknew us, if God predestined all of, of everything to happen, if he did that, then I know that God doesn't break any of his promises. God never forgets. God never overextends himself. A big concern for us is, is this sustainable? For God, it's all sustainable. He has no problem uh, following through with everything that he promises. And so all of those things are guarantees. Everything that we find in the word that he will work together for good, all of those ingredients of your life, no matter how painful they are and how scary they are. We can trust that because we know that God foreknew me and he predestined me to something. Which leads us to our next word. He predestined us, look at verse 29, for whom he foreknew, those same ones he also predestined to become <coughs> conformed to the image of his son. So the letter C is, is the word conform. There's that word seem again, which means the same. Seem morphe. Morphe is, is like one thing morphs into another. It changes forms. And so what this word to conform something <clears throat> is to cause something to share the form of something else, to make it in like form with. It's like God has the mixing bowl of your life foreordained, predetermined. And some of you, I can just feel it. You can just like, ah, he's saying there's no free will. He's saying there's not, I'm not involved. I'm a robot. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what this says, that you were foreknown before the foundation of the world. You were uh, predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So God, if I understand this right, it's like the mixing bowl of your life with all the ingredients, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the hard, all of those ingredients that are just make you groan. God's mixing them together, but he's not just, he's mixing them together to look like something. He's conforming us Look at verse 29. What's he conforming us to? The image of Christ. So the next word we have to understand is that. What's, what's an image? What's the image? that It's the Greek word literally right in the verse is icon. It's a, a resemblance. It's a likeness. It's a, it's a manifestation of his son. All right, now follow me with this logic. I kind of went here with the kids. But come with me. I'm going to read to you from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. When God created Adam and Eve, I hope you read Genesis last Monday, Genesis 1. It was beautiful to get back into that basic story, to read the actual words that God inspired Moses to write to tell human beings of all time where we came from. How did this stuff begin? And, and all people can come up with is the theory of evolution. 
<laughs> which is untenable. It is bizarre. It is ridiculous. It just is. If you're honest and you think about it for two seconds. So God inspired Moses to write this book called Genesis or Beginnings. Where did we come from? And then to read the language of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 again was just such a good experience. But uh, God made man in his image. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. He made nothing else in his image. So we're made in his icon. We're made to resemble him. And so listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So God is spirit, so you can't see God the Father. So Jesus is the icon or the image of the invisible God. Then he's and the firstborn of all creation. Hold on to that one because that's going to be our last term that we define. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Over in chapter 2, verse 9 of Colossians 4. In Jesus, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God, dwells in bodily form. So, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. John verse chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw him, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So will you agree with me that if you want to see God, who do you have to look at? Jesus. And we have been foreknown by God and predestined to become conformed to the image of Jesus, so if we're conformed to the image of Jesus, who do we look like? Who do we look like? God, who created human beings in his image. And we mess that up when we sin. And every time you're sinning and every time you're living in the flesh, and if you have not received Christ, you're just not displaying the image of God. You're not displaying the icon of Jesus. And so... So here's Jesus, as the kids wisely understood. Jesus can be seen in the pages of Scripture. We see what Jesus is like, and we have the fruit of the Spirit. We see this perfect balance. So the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, the firstborn from the Father, full of what? Grace. Truth, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the perfect blend of grace and truth. So this is what you want to look like. He's the perfect blend of grace and truth. He's not in the left ditch of grace. He's not in the left ditch of love, lovey-dovey, warm and fuzzy, everybody's good, just be kind, let's just, let's just be nice to each other. No, that's not true. Then there's truth. I have the right doctrine, I'm the right group, and let's separate and let's divide this church so that we can be the ones who really tell the truth. That's not love. Jesus has the perfect blend of all grace, all truth, put together down the middle of the road. That's what we're after. And we have been foreknown by God and predestined to become conformed to that. 
the image of Jesus Christ. How are we conformed into his image? Read your Bible every day. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And that's just the beginning of the process of renewing our minds. Chapter 12, verse 2 will come to in a couple months. Of renewing our mind so that we can understand, how do you balance grace and truth? How, how do I tell the truth but do it in love? How do, I, how do I really, really love people without compromising, without uh, condoning stuff that's, that God says is wrong? How do I do all that? Read the book of Proverbs. Read the Bible. And it will just keep teaching you wisdom. Over, and then, you be, then you've got to do it. And once you do it, you start looking like Jesus. That's God's plan for your life. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, memorize it, use it. And then that leads us to conform. So we've looked at God foreknew us, predestined us to be conformed. He's forming all that together into the image of Jesus, of his Son. Now look at the end of verse 29. Why? That, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we're going to talk about God's will. That, this is, the, this is why God foreknew you, why God predestined you, why God is working in your life to conform you into the image of Jesus. Why is he doing all that? The verse tells us, so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. So we got it last term. Hang with me. One more tree to look at. Let's look at the word firstborn. Proto. Tokos. Jesus the firstborn. Now, does that mean he was the first one ever born? Was Jesus born? No. He was born as a human being. The word became flesh. But the word was with God. The word was in the beginning with God. He's God. He was never born. So firstborn can't only mean the first child. Now, it, it, it can mean that. Just like foreknowledge can mean you know something before it happens. But that's not all it means. That's not all the ways that it's used. Similarly, firstborn, because in the culture, similar to ours, the firstborn, sometimes the firstborn son gets it all. It's the inheritance. Or he's the most important one. He's the next in line. Um, that's what this word means. Preeminent, the preeminent one. I'll read a little bit out of the dictionary. I, I won't, I'll try not to lose you. So, the predetermined goal of salvation for those whom God foreknew is to conform them into the image of his son Jesus. And then this title... Firstborn presents Jesus as preeminent in ranking. He's the, the preeminent one in the group of all the, the brethren. So the upshot of Paul's words is that God predestined us to glory so that we can share in the inheritance given to Christ as God's firstborn son. That is, God desired to include with Christ, and I think this is what Paul is getting at in Romans 8.28, to encourage us. That, God, that is, God desired to include with Christ, 
a host of other but lesser heirs, we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters, among whom Christ would stand as preeminent. Just let me quote to you from Psalm 89, verse 26. Just quickly. Psalm 89, 26. Because this is David using the term firstborn. 89, 26. Where David says this. David is... The Lord is speaking through David in Psalm 89. He said, He will cry to me. David will cry to me. King David, the Old Testament who's God's firstborn, as you're going to see. He will cry to me, You are my father. Sounds like Romans 8, uh, 16, doesn't it? Abba, Father. My God, the rock of my salvation, and I also will make him my firstborn. Does that... So it's like, let's just say you have a son and something happens to him or he completely doesn't, you know, he's not going to get the inheritance for some reason. He does something really, really, really bad. Then you have the right to appoint a firstborn son, right? The inheritor of, of everything that you have. That's, the, it's a position. So just hang with me, you'll see why this is important. So God says to David, I will make him my firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth, my loving kindness I will keep for him forever. Ah, but I thought David died. Yeah, he did. My covenant shall be confirmed to him, so I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven, which is another way of saying forever. Who's he talking about? David in the near future. Who's he talking about ultimately? Jesus. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Jesus is the firstborn. The most, the preeminent of a bunch of brothers. But, and that's, I think, Paul's emphasis here is, go back to verse 29. He said, for whom he foreknew, I hope that's you, he also predestined to be to mix it all together and for you to become conformed to the image of his son Jesus so that Jesus might be the firstborn certain he was the first one resurrected but it's more than that he might be the king the preeminent son who inherits everything and then we share it with him among many brethren this is who you are this is who we are why does that become Important to us. Why why is Paul writing that? Again, it is not so that we can argue about it 2,000 years later. It's not to form different groups and to cause division in the church. He didn't write this to cause division in the Roman church. He wrote this to encourage those Roman Christians. And we've got to be... So, just a word of caution. We've got to be careful not to isolate these trees the words, and then focus in on each individual one because then we might miss God's message. We would miss the forest. So in my final moment here in this message, come with me. What is the forest? 
How do you put all those together? If you've got the oak and the pine and the elm and the birch and all of that, and you step back and you look how they all blend together, what is the message for us today? What's the message for you? And I think it's this, that in the struggle that you are facing with sin in your life, the battle that you are engaged in with your flesh, in the midst of the suffering that you are experiencing, and many of you, I think every one of us is suffering something. Some of it's really intense right now. Something that's really scary. Right in the middle of that, just like they were, you are groaning for redemption. You know this isn't the way it should be, and, you, and you're tired. And right in, the, in all of that groaning, you need a word of encouragement. And so what Paul is saying is, I think the point of it is summed up in verses 24 and 25. So if you have your Bibles open, look at 24 and 25. And I think all that he has said before leads to this. Four, in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen isn't hope. Why would you hope for something that you see? So we don't yet see the future. We don't yet see Jesus return. We don't see when everything's going to be made right, when all of these promises are going to be fulfilled. But, look at verse 25, this is it. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, endurance, I should have put the slide up with the guy underneath the weights, right? With endurance, I remain under all of the ingredients that God has got in my mixing bowl, that he is working together for good. With perseverance, we will wait eagerly for it. So it's a word of encouragement to you that right in the midst of your life with all of those unpleasant and hard ingredients, to know that whom he foreknew, he predestined, He's mixing all that together to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. And he's going to do that. If you follow Jesus, he will do that day by day throughout your life here on earth. But eagerly, we endure all the bad stuff that's going to come along with it, the hard stuff that's going to come along with it, because ultimately, when are we going to be conformed to the image of Jesus? When will that happen? When he comes back. When Jesus returns, John, 1 John 3, 2, we will see him as he is and we will be like him. That Then it will be completely fulfilled. And in the meantime, you and I have got a job to do, don't we? We have a mission here. We are supposed to bear the image of God. We are supposed to let God's glory shine through us, through our good works, through our fruit of the Spirit, in such a way that Uh, People would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And in order to endure the hard temptations that go along with all of that so we don't give up and we don't blow it, we have to remember who we are and then, with perseverance, eagerly wait for Jesus to come back. So I pray that this would be an encouragement to you. As you bow your heads now and I read it to you one more time, my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit would, would do something in your heart to give you a strong word of encouragement. 
right? Because I know a lot of you today are probably tired and you're probably discouraged. And you're probably confused a little bit. And maybe this will help. The Holy Spirit will help put it all together for you. So will you bow your heads with me, please? For, well, I'll start in 28. Just hear the words of the Lord. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Just meditate on that for a few moments.